Almighty God, we, we want to be in your presence. We want to hear a word from you. You make yourself known to us in the word of God as it is read and as it is proclaimed and at your table. This morning, we want to encounter our Savior. Lord, right now in the preaching of your word, please let the power of your Holy Spirit come upon your congregation so that we may be given eyes to see and ears to hear and hearts tender to receive the presence of Christ and be with me the preacher of your word that I might speak faithfully the good news of Jesus Christ. It's in his name that we pray. Amen. You may be seated. Well, in our tradition, the Anglican way of following Jesus, uh, we have a, a saying, it's not limited to us, but we do like to use it quite frequently, and that saying is lex orendi, lex credendi, lex orendi, lex credendi, because it makes us sound smart. I mean, you say Latin, it makes you smart, but really what it means is that the way we pray, lex orendi, the rule of prayer, the way we pray determines how we actually believe. So lex credendi, the, the rule of faith, how we pray affects deeply what we believe, and what we believe affects deeply how we live and experience the Christian life. Now, uh, I'm going to you know, be a little self-revelatory because I'm leaving on sabbatical, and you know, uh, what are you going to do about it? You know, I, can, I can get away with this. Uh, but, but in my own spirituality, there have been a couple of prayers, one prayer in particular, and and this is backed up by some other prayers. But this prayer is actually in your prayer book. It's in, it's in the Book of Common Prayer there in the pew in front of you. It's on page 673, 673, verse, uh, verse prayer 93, 673, prayer 93. It's Wesley's Covenant Prayer. And this prayer has been a part of my spirituality and has formed me. Lord, I am no longer my own but thine. Put me to what thou wilt. Rank me with whom thou wilt. Put me to doing. Put me to suffering. Let me be employed by thee or laid aside by thee. Exalted for thee or brought low for thee. Let me be full. Let me be empty. Let me have all things. Let me have nothing. I freely and heartily yield all things to thy pleasure and disposal. And now, O oh glorious and blessed God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, Thou art mine and I am Thine. And the covenant which I have made with Thee on earth may it be ratified in heaven. Let me tell you, if you pray that prayer and mean it, God will hold it to you. <laughs> and He will bless you with that prayer. I love that prayer. There's another prayer that I love. It's based on the spirituality of St. Ignatius Loyola, Lord, teach me to be generous, to love you as you deserve, to give and not count the cost, to fight and not heed the wounds, to toil and not seek for rest, to labor and not to look for any reward, save that of knowing that I do your holy will. To fight and not heed the wounds. I love that prayer. It speaks 
to something deep inside of me. It's the prayer of a warrior. It's the prayer of a knight. I think it's a very good prayer indeed, and it, it expresses noble and godly sentiments. In fact, it's very much in, the, in keeping with our theme for this whole year at Christ Church, which is the theme of courage. So it kind of goes right along with that. In fact, these, these prayers that I just shared with you, taken together, are full of sentiments like duty and service and consecration and self-abandonment in the great cause of the one as he is named in the King James Version in Hebrews chapter 2, the captain of our salvation, the captain of our salvation. You know, in the Book of Common Prayer, we begin our Christian lives with these kind of words. I'm going to give you the old words from the old Book of Common Prayer, but this is on page 169 in the new Book of Common Prayer as well, and it's, it's the prayer we pray over one who's just been baptized when we seal them with the sign of the cross on the forehead. And this is the way it reads in the old BCP. We receive this child or this person into the congregation of Christ's flock and do sign him with the sign of the cross in token that hereafter he shall not be ashamed to confess the faith of Christ crucified, to manfully fight under his banner against sin, the world, and the devil, and to continue Christ's faithful soldier and servant unto his life's end. So, Fighting and struggling, those are biblical components of discipleship. But listen, listen, listen. That is not complete discipleship. That is not complete discipleship. There is a different spirituality at work in Jesus' description of what it means to follow him in the gospel text from John chapter 15 we heard today. And it is a spirituality of intimacy. A spirituality of intimacy. Intimacy with Jesus is at the heart of following Jesus, not just duty, but that we are loved by, we are loved by God. And because of his love, we can love him and everything he loves. Because we are loved by God, we can love him and everything that he loves. So the setting for that gospel reading that you just heard to, to remind you is Jesus' farewell discourse with his disciples in the upper room. It's right before the, the, the trial, the arrest, trial, crucifixion of Jesus. He's just, he's just finished washing the disciples' feet. Jesus' friend, Judas Iscariot, has left to betray him. And in just a few short hours, Jesus' friend Peter will deny him. Jesus is preparing in this moment his disciples for his passion and for the future following his resurrection and ascension. So in that context, what does Jesus, he's just, Judas has left to betray him. Jesus is washing the disciples' feet. Peter's going to deny him. He's telling them about his passion and then what happens after his resurrection and ascension. And given that these are, in one sense, these are his last moments with his disciples before these events take place, what does he elect to talk about? Well, in this brief section, these few verses we just heard, eight verses, Jesus mentions love, love, nine times. Yes, there is a lot in here about keeping his commandments, but every one of those references is related to abiding in intimate love with Jesus. 
Jesus mentions his love for us, his Father's love for him, and the love we are to have for one another nine times in eight verses. As the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Remain, abide, me know in my love. You know, I'm often remind, I often remind us at Christchurch that love is not, is not merely a feeling. Love is not merely an emotion. But I need to personally remember, and maybe there are some of you here that need to remember this with me, that love is profoundly connected to our emotions. If I never have any love-related emotions in my relationships with a friend or a spouse or mom because it's Mother's Day, and yes, I have to mention that or I'll get in trouble, then if I don't have any emotions of love in those consequential, central relationships of my life, there's something essentially wrong with that relationship. The same is true of our relationship with Jesus. If it is emotionally sterile or frigid or devoid of genuine affection for Jesus Christ, then that is a sign that my discipleship is broken. If there is no feeling of love, then my discipleship is broken. Now, we go through dry spells. I know that. But if there's not those times of intense love, then there's something missing. If you're like me and your discipleship is focused on service and duty, let me share something with you. We can outwardly appear to be dutiful and obedient in our discipleship. We can have prophetic powers and understand all mysteries and all knowledge and have all faith faith so as to remove mountains. We can give away all that we have. We can deliver our bodies up to be burned as martyrs. But if we don't have love, then our discipleship is broken. Duty without love is not discipleship. Devotion without love is not discipleship. Why? Well, we just heard it read this morning in 1 John. Beloved, let us love one another, for love is from God, and whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. Anyone who does not love does not know God, because God is love. If the object of our devotion is the very, if the object of our devotion, of our discipleship, is the very definition of love, then that's what discipleship is all about. And to forget that is what Jesus actually rebukes the church of Ephesus, the church in Ephesus in, Re in Revelation chapter 2. Jesus offers a rebuke to this precious church. He tells this hardworking, diligent, doctrinally correct, yeah, I love these guys. These are my people. I'm an Ephesian. He tells this church in Revelation 2, verse 2, I know your works, your toil and your patient endurance, and how you cannot bear with those who are evil, but have tested those who call themselves apostles and are not, and have found them to be false. I know you are enduring patiently and bearing up for my name's sake, and you have not grown weary, but I have this against you. You have abandoned the love that you had at first. Remember, therefore, from where you have fallen, repent and do the works you did at first. 
Beloved, here's what Jesus wants for us. Jesus, lover of our souls, wants for us. He gives us a list of words that don't just sound like toil and fighting and laboring and emptying ourselves. He doesn't just want us to be good soldiers. In this passage, he gives us words that define our discipleship that are so much, so much more eternally significant than just working real hard. The first thing is that he wants you, please listen, he wants you and me to be filled with joy. Does your discipleship have any joy in it? That's what Jesus wants for you. He says this, these things I have spoken to you that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be full. Do you think Jesus wants you to be full of joy? It sounds like it. It sounds like that's his will for us. Jesus wants you to be full of joy. A while back, and I think I've told you all this story before, a pastor friend of mine had a lifelong atheist and Buddhist professor. Yes, you can be both at the same time. A uh, lifelong atheist and Buddhist professor come to him and say that she had become fascinated with the person of Jesus. But she said, you know, I already know all about self-emptying. What I need now is to be full. I know all about self-emptying, Buddhism. But what I need now is to be full, and I think Jesus can do that. I think Jesus can do that. Here's another word that Jesus wants to add to our discipleship vocabulary. Listen, you are my friends. You are my friends if you do what I command you. No longer do I call you servants, for the servant does not know what his master is doing, but I have called you friends. For all that I have heard from my Father, I have made known to you. Jesus doesn't just want us to be merely servants. We're not just soldiers of the cross. He wants to be your friend. He wants to be my friend. Jesus, what a friend of sinners. Jesus, lover of my soul. Friends may fail me. You know what? Our best theology of love is sung theology. It's just sung. Friends may fail me. Foes assail me. He, my Savior, makes me whole. Hallelujah, what a Savior. Hallelujah, what a friend. Saving, helping, keeping, loving. He is with me to the end. You know, brothers and sisters, a boss does not have to tell his employees his plans for the business. But a friend shares their heart with you. A friend takes you into their confidence. Jesus shares his heart with his friends. A friend wants to spend time with you just because that friend loves you. Jesus wants to be with you. And so we need to ask ourselves, do I see Jesus more as my boss or my friend? Do I see Jesus more as my boss or as my friend? Here's another word uh, to help reorient our spiritual life. I love this word, chosen, chosen. He says, Jesus says, you did not choose me, but I chose you. Jesus, listen, brothers and sisters, he went to the 
Humane Society and picked you out. <laughs> oh, my goodness gracious. You know what? Uh, we went to the uh, Humane Society a while back with our daughter. We were looking. Uh, it, she ended up not getting the dog, a dog there, but uh, we went to the Humane Society, and we looked at dogs, and she picked the ugliest dog I have ever seen to be the dog she wanted to pick out and take home. And she's, but she went home to think about, you know, which is what you should do before you, you get a dog, especially a really, really ugly dog. And, uh, but you know what happened? Before she could go back, somebody had already picked that dog out. I was the ugliest dog in the kennel, and he chose me. He chose me. He chose you. You're chosen. We are wanted men and women. As a follower of Jesus, you need to know that someone wants you, desires you, is jealous for you, chooses you. You didn't do anything to merit this. It is all grace. The pressure is off of you to measure up because he already chose you. He chose you when you were still his enemy. God demonstrates his love for us in this, in that while we were still his enemies, Christ died for us. He didn't choose you because you were the best, but because, as it says in Deuteronomy chapter 7, verse 7, the Lord set his love on you and chose you. He sovereignly set his love on you and chose you. Titus 3, 4, and 5. I'm quoting someone here, obviously Paul and Titus, but then following as well. The great verses, Titus 3, 4, and 5. But when the kindness and the kindness and love of God our Savior appeared, he saved us. The kindness and the love of God our Savior appeared. He saved us not because of righteous things we had done, but because of his mercy. So no matter who you are, what you've done, or what you will do, the God of the universe desires you. The pressure is off. There's nothing you can do to make God want you more, which also means there's nothing we have to do to be wanted by him. That comes simply by being his creation. Let me give you a couple more words for your discipleship vocabulary. Here's what happens when we realize that we are loved like this. When discipleship goes from soldiering to loving, from duty to intimacy. You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you that you should go and bear fruit. Fruit that will abide, so that whatever you ask the Father in my name, he may give it to you. I appointed you that you should go and bear fruit and that your fruit should abide. Here's the word fruitful. This is the word fruitful. What kind of fruit? Well, in the context of John's gospel, I don't think it's a list of things like in Galatians, you know, the fruit of the Spirit, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. I don't think it's that. In the context of John's gospel, Fruit is, is John's way, it's Jesus' way in this passage of expressing this, life. 
Life. Fruit is life. So that following Jesus is not death-dealing drudgery. When we are filled with, with intimacy with Christ, love for Christ, the result of that is not just life in us. Oh, please listen, that we become conduits for life in the world around us. Fruit always represents new life and fertility and fecundity. And that's what we bring to the world. So if our discipleship becomes all about duty and being a good soldier, then it will, if it's all about just being really super conscientious, it's going to lose life. You're not going to have life. But when we are intimate with Jesus, we become the source of God's life in the world. John 10, 10 the thief comes not except to kill, steal and kill and to destroy. Jesus said, I have come life that they may, I have come that they may have life and that they may have it more abundantly. God desires that we have abundant life. Don't tone it down. Ramp it up. Life. And that life leads to one last word that emerges from this passage. I want you to hear it. This is the word. Give. Not that we are the ones giving, but that God is giving. Listen, it's that God is giving to us. Jesus says, so that whatever you ask the Father in my name, he may give it to you. When we are... Look, I, I'm not embarrassed by my Wesley Covenant prayer. I love it. But if you just live there, I mean, even though it does say, let me have all things, let me have nothing, I tend to focus on, let me have nothing. Uh, if you just live in duty, then you forget that God wants to be the giver. We think we're the givers. No, 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 no. We only give in response, and what we give is tiny. It's given out of love, but God is the giver. God is the giver. So that whatever you ask the Father in my name, he may give it to you. When we are living in intimacy, we ask and the Father gives. We don't earn, we ask. Bounty and generosity and gift naturally flow from Love. That's why you are giving your mom something for Mother's Day if she's around still. I gave Lisa something I really liked, lawn equipment. No, not really. <laughs> we do the best we can. But we give because we love. So do you know and believe that God loves you? Do you know and believe the, God, the love God has for you? Do you know and believe the love God has for you? Why did I phrase it that way? Because 1 John 4.16, we heard read this morning, so we have come to know and to believe. We have come to know and to believe the love that God has for us. God is love, and whoever abides in love abides in God, and God abides in him.
John Mark McMillan wrote a great song, worship song, that makes me uncomfortable with some of its lyrics. <laughs> but it's true. He is our, I love this, he is our portion and he is our prize, drawn to redemption by the grace in his eyes. If grace is an ocean, we're all sinking. So heaven meets earth like a sloppy wet kiss. And my heart turns violently inside of my chest. I don't have the time to maintain these regrets when I think about the way that he loves us. He loves us. Uh, some of us, if you have a mom around still, will take mom to dinner today, to lunch, to dinner, because you love her. Jesus wants to take you to dinner because he loves you. It says in the Psalm of Solomon that he takes me to his banqueting table and his banner over me is love. His banner over us is love. This isn't just any meal. At the heart of this meal is love that we cannot even begin to comprehend. In the heart of this meal are these words. This is my body given for you. This is my blood shed for you. Nobody has ever loved me like that. And nobody loves me today like that. And the good news is that he never stopped loving you like that. And we have to be reminded, Jesus wants to take you to dinner. He wants to take you to dinner, Christian friend. May God give us grace. Not just that we fall in love with him again. Oh, listen. More than that, may God give us the grace to know that he has fallen in love with us. Thank you, God, that we can love because you first loved us. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, amen.